Good morning, saints. Good morning, sinners. Man, you all can sing. That was beautiful. Amen? Well, we continue on with our sermon series. B, what am I becoming? I'm becoming more like Jesus. Jesus says, I bring peace. I leave my peace with you. Peace I give to you. He's going to leave the disciples and he wants them to know, I'm leaving my peace with you. Not as the world gives peace, but as I give peace. He's saying, the world looks upon peace as the absence of war. As the absence of trials and tribulations. And Christ is saying, I'm going to give you peace in the midst of the storms and the trials and the tribulations. When everything's going wrong, when all the world is tumbling in, I'm going to give you peace. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid, he says. That's the kind of peace that Christ is going to leave us. Peace. Who wouldn't want peace? Isn't that a part of our life that we all want to have is peace in our life? The key question this morning is, where do we find freedom from anxiety and fear? I know that there's been a lot of anxiety and fear boiling up in the media lately. In two days, you're going to go and vote for the right candidate. And I have no idea who that is. But hasn't the, hasn't the media been trying to make you fear to vote for X or to vote for Y? Our key idea this morning is peace. I'm free from anxiety because I have found peace with God, peace with others, and peace within myself. Our key scripture this morning comes from Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, is beyond all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is a beautiful peace. The peace that God has can be yours if you're in Christ Jesus. Be at peace. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 tells us we find peace with God. We find peace with others. And we find peace in ourselves. Three-point lesson, note takers. We find peace with God, peace with others, and peace with ourselves. I love note takers, okay? I'm just going to branch out right now and say I love it when you take notes. Because did you know if that you'll write down what you're hearing, you're six times more likely to remember it. So if you really want to remember something, write it down. You don't even have to look at it again, which is good, but if you'll just write it down, it'll stick with you six times better than just hearing it. 
First, we find peace with God by emulating His Son and recognizing His love. By emulating His Son and by recognizing that God has our best interest at heart, then we can find peace. No better, no better scripture I know than to see this, that God has our best interest at heart, it can be found in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. And I want you to just soak this in. Listen to how God has your best intentions at heart and how much he loves you. All praise be to God, our Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heaven, in the heavenly realms, because we are united in Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he's poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he has purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysteries plan regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. And this plan, at the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we're united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his great plan. You see, God has your best interest at heart. And when we recognize his love for us and we're in compliance with his will, we'll have a peace that surpasses all understanding. But stress comes when we're in conflict with our God. When I was a kid, we lived on a farm. I still live on a farm, but when I was a kid, we lived on a farm. We had hens in a hen house. And during the summertime, we'd let those hens run around, and they would free range. We didn't call it back then. We called it saving money. But now we call it free range. And so we were walking up from Grandpa's house up to my house. He was actually getting ready to feed the cattle. And as we were going by, it was getting late in the evening. And he said, son, we need to put these chickens in the hen house. And right beside the hen house was this huge, just, just gigantic elm tree. It's still there. You remember the ice storm we had? A whole tree fell out of that tree, and it didn't make any difference. It's still huge and big. It's a giant elm tree. And some of the chickens had roosted up in one of the limbs about 15 feet off the ground. And he said, son, run these chickens in. And he said, those up on that tree limb, he said, just throw some rocks at them. And you can, you can get them off and they'll run inside. And so I ran the chickens inside. Except, you know, I was the great tree climber. And I didn't want to do what Grandpa said, which was just to throw some rocks at those chickens off the limb 
and get him to run inside. So I thought I would just climb up that tree. Man, I could climb a tree like nobody's business back then. I've tried that since, and gravity has taken over, and I can't. But then I just went, I went right up that tree, and it had huge limbs, so it was pretty big and pretty difficult to get up. And I got up on that limb, and it was a huge limb, and I, I started edging out on that limb to get to those chickens. And I don't know what happened, Chase. I don't know what I was thinking. I probably was daydreaming. And all of a sudden, whoosh, I slid around that limb. And now suddenly, on top, instead of being on top of the limb, I'm on the bottom of the limb, and my fingers will just barely reach, Shannon. I can just barely reach around that limb. And I'm hanging there, upside down, and I look back, and what do I see but a freeze-proof plug sticking up and concrete. And my heart is going... And adrenaline is pumping in. And it's all I can do to edge back over the top of that limb. And then I slowly, real cl- skinny down that tree and get back on the ground. And I'm shaking like a leaf on a tree. And I'm scared to death. And fear, like you've never seen, it was the opposite of peace. So Grandpa comes back by, and here I am trying to throw rocks at these chickens. And so I got him in. He just patted me on the back. I've always wondered, did he see what happened? Stress comes when we're in conflict with the authority over us. I should have listened to Grandpa. He knew I shouldn't have been on that limb 15 feet above the ground. But we're the same way. We come, in, we come into stress because we're in conflict with God. And there's no greater story in the Bible than the story of Jonah and how Jonah came in conflict with God. You see, God said, listen, Jonah, there's these Ninevites over there, and I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to preach to them destruction, that if they don't change their ways in 40 days, I'm going to annihilate them. And Jonah hated these people because these people were mean and ugly and had been mean and ugly to the Jewish people throughout history. And Jonah says, no, don't think I will. And he goes down to Joppa, and he gets on a boat, and he takes off for Tarshish. Now, we don't really know where Tarshish was. Historians are not for sure where Tarshish is. But if they think, if, if what they think is correct, it was in the very southern tip of Spain, near the Gibraltar Straits. That's that place where the Mediterranean Sea meets the Atlantic. At that time, it was the farthest known part of the world. So Jonah is running away from God to the farthest known point that he could, it would be like saying, I'm going to run to the end of the earth. For Jonah, that was the truth. He was running to the end of the earth to get away from God. Well, you know the story better than I know the story. You know how it happened, what happened with the waves and the wind and the whale. So I want to make some points about Stress comes into our life. You see, for Jonah and the crew of the ship, they were scared to death. Because he was in conflict with God, they had to deal with violent storms and the fear of shipwreck. 
How many times in your life has your self-will got you into storms in life and fear of wrecking your life because you were in conflict with God? They lost cargo. They thought if they just throw enough cargo over the ship, they wouldn't sink. But that didn't work. Can I ask you how many of you have lost material things because you were in conflict with God? God had given you all these blessings. He's laid all these blessings on you, and you ended up losing those material things because you didn't use them the way God wanted you to use them. And how about the loss of sleep? How many of you have lost sleep? How many of you have lost your health? Because you chose to live in conflict with God's will. Whether it be through addiction of drugs or alcohol or overeating or or maybe workaholics who work themselves until they no longer have any health. And don't think, you see... Jonah needed an attitude adjustment. So God sent a whale, and a whale swallowed him for three days and nights. Don't think for a second that our God's changed. You might need an attitude adjustment. And while I believe that God is constantly whispering to Keith when he's in conflict with him, it's called my conscience, While the Spirit is whispering to my conscience that I need to change things in my life, don't think for a second that He won't send an attitude adjustment your way today and rock your world to get your attention, to bring you back into the will of God. You see, stress comes and fear comes when we're in conflict with God, which leads us to number two. We find peace with others by practicing the reconciliation of Christ. We find peace with others by practicing the reconciliation of Christ. Christ has this really famous sermon. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's found in Matthew 5 through 7. If you, wanna, if you really want to see what Christ wants you to be like, then, then daily just open up and look at Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And, and if you can live the life that Christ calls you to live in those chapters, man, you'll have peace. But one of the things that he wants you to have is reconciliation with others. Check this verse, two verses out. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Christ is telling these first century worshipers who have maybe, Rick, spent two or three days traveling to get to the altar. If you get to the altar and suddenly you remember that somebody has something against you, you just leave your gift right there at the altar and you go make it right with your brothers or sisters and then you come back 
and you put your gift on the altar. That's huge. Do you see what kind of priority Christ is giving reconciliation? He's saying, before you come and worship me, get it right with your brothers and sisters in Christ. If someone has something against you, go make it right before you come to worship. If you come to the front doors of the church and you want to come in and you start to worship corporately as a church on Sunday morning and you realize somebody has something against you, go make it right first. Don't let that moment slip away. Go make it right with them. It's more important. The priority is higher for reconciliation than it is for worship. That's pretty high, right? Getting along and having unity is high on God's priority list. Paul's having to deal with some of these priorities of getting along in the Roman church because they're such a diverse crowd. I mean, we've got people who've lived under Roman rule and Roman religion all their life, and now we've got these Jews over here, and they're coming together in Christianity, and they have all these different beliefs, and we're trying to put them together under one roof, under Christ's rule and reign. Paul says, except the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. What's disputable matters? Disputable matters are matters that aren't salvational issues. If you want to see what disputable matters are not, then go to Ephesians 1 through 6, and they'll tell you those are salvational issues. And Paul says, listen, over disputable matters, over matters of doctrine that can be argued, don't fight, don't quarrel. Now, don't get Paul wrong here. We can spend all day discussing points of doctrine. We did that this morning in our class. We had a discussion. Nobody got mad. Nobody got upset. Some people viewed the scripture as one way. Some people viewed it as another. And that's okay. We're here to study together, to learn and understand God's will together as a church and community. And that's what it's about. But don't get mad about it. Don't ever argue and have a quarrel over it. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat the one with contempt, the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, the servant stands or falls. And they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. You see, what was happening was these far right, that's right, let's see, you see me, yeah, the far right, you're right, they're vegetarians and they're not eating of that meat. And they're looking over at those liberals over there. Those pork-eating Romans over there who are eating meat, and they're condemning them. And the Romans are over here, those liberals, and they're looking over at those conservatives, and they're saying, look at them. They're so self-righteous. They don't even eat meat. 
vegetarians. They're so far from getting this thing. This is all about being spiritual. And Satan loves it. Because now you've got the conservatives and the liberals pointing fingers and label and objectifying each other. And when you put labels on people and you can see them as objects and not children of God, well, then you can hate them. And Paul says, who do you think you are to judge another person? Because we're just servants of God. And a servant stands or falls based upon the judgment of the master. And let me tell you, Paul says, these servants, these servants in Christ, they're going to stand because God can make them stand. Not because of something they've done, but whose they belong to. Stress comes when we put ourselves first. Isn't that what is happening? Wasn't that what was happening in the early church in Rome? One side was putting themselves above another. They were putting themselves first. Do you see that? I'm a vegetarian. I don't eat meat. I'm a liberal. I can do all things because I know that nothing in and of itself is, is a sin self-righteous, holier than thou. They were putting themselves and their opinions first. And stress comes in our life when we put ourselves first. No greater story than to illustrate this, I think, than in Genesis 13. Abraham and Lot have come up out of Egypt. They've gotten to a place called Bethel. Now, if you're not familiar with it, Bethel is just a little bit west of the Jordan banks, okay? Now, Jordan, the River Jordan, overflowed once a year. And when it did, it went into the plains of the Jordan. They call it the plains of the Jordan, and it's flat for miles. And it would completely flood these plains. And it would become green. The Bible says it was green like the Garden of Eden green. And beyond where the floodplain is, it looked a lot like West Texas, okay? You could raise something there, but it takes a lot of land to raise something. I'm thinking a cow would probably need about 10 acres, right? So they come up out of Egypt, and they come to this place called Bethel, and God has been blessing Abraham and Lot crazy. They've got huge herds. I mean gigantic herds of livestock. And because they're so blessed and have so much, the herdsmen are starting to argue about where the pasture is for them. Lot's family is starting to argue with Abram. It soon will be Abraham, but at this part of the story, he's not been renamed, so it's Abram. Their herdsmen are starting to have conflict. They're starting to fight and quarrel over pasture land. And Abraham can't stand this conflict 
in the family, the stress in the family. And he has a, he has a soft spot in his heart for Lot, okay? Because Lot is his nephew. But Lot's daddy died, so Abram has raised him. So he's like a son. He's like he's a nephew, but he's raised him like a son. But on top of that, because of the way the laws worked at that time, Lot would have had the advantage or, or the legal right that his dad had because Lot was the oldest. So now we've got this three-pronged relationship with Abraham and Lot. He's like a brother because he has all the responsibility that his father had. He's like a son because Abraham most likely has raised him. And he's like a nephew. So there's this close relationship. And Abraham, he can't stand, he can't stand this division, this, this conflict. So he goes to Lot and he says, listen, you look around, all around you. And you go off far enough in this direction, in, in the direction that you choose. And you and your herdsmen can be there, and I'll choose to go in the opposite direction, far enough away that we won't ever come in conflict again. And Lot, thinking about himself, looks into the Jordan floodplain and all that green grass, and he says, I'll take that side. I'll take the east from here, and you can take the west that must have broken Abraham's heart to see that kind of selfishness, that kind of self-absorption. Because right after that happens, God comes to Abraham and says, hey, don't worry about this. I'm going to bless you anyway. And here are the things that I'm going to give you. But I want you to see, Lot is the guest, but Abraham has to make the offer. Lot takes what's best. He's self-centered. He could have easily said, listen, Abraham, I'll take everything that's north of Bethel, and you can take everything of south of Bethel, and you can have a little bit of the green land and some of the bad stuff, and I'll have some of the green land and some of the wilderness. And they could have worked it out that way. But he didn't. He took what was best in all of it for himself. Lot chose to live in a wicked people over living with God's people. Lot knew the people that were over there, influential, rich, wealthy, and wicked. They were mean, ugly, hateful people. But he liked the land, he liked the materialism, he liked what he saw. So the Bible says he pitched his tents towards Sodom and Gomorrah. He pitched his tents he identified with and wanted to live with the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Before this is over, the choice has cost Lot his wife, his home, and it almost cost him his daughters because he was self-centered. We have stress in our life and the lack of peace when we choose ourselves, when we're self-centered, when we put ourselves first, and we have peace 
We have peace with others when we practice the reconciliation that Christ intended us to practice. Which leads us to number three. We'll find peace for ourselves by having faith in Christ. We'll have peace with ourselves when we have faith in Christ. You know, we want to find fault with ourselves. We want to beat ourselves up because we don't live up to our standards. We don't think we get it right. We start condemning ourselves because we, we didn't meet all of our expectations. That's what was happening in Rome. They were beating themselves up because they weren't being the Christians they thought they ought to be. And Paul has to remind him, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Do you see that? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. If you're in Christ, then you're not condemned. Oh, but Keith, you don't know. You don't know the things that I've done. Keith, you don't know. You don't know all the bad stuff that I've done. You don't know how many times I've failed. I mean, I've lied to people. I've lied to you. I've lied to others. And, I, and I've done all these bad things. And I failed over and over again. And the Romans must have had that same problem because he told them. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Some of us forget this scripture every once in a while. We need to be reminded. We fail. But that's okay if we fail because God's grace is greater than our sin. Now that's not, that's not a pass to go sin all you want to sin. No, that's just saying that I'm going to fail, I'm going to mess up, but that's okay because grace is greater than my sin, my ability to sin. Finding peace with ourselves. When I was in ninth grade, well, let me back up. When I was in seventh grade, I was one of the scrawniest kids in the class. And then by ninth grade, I'd put on about 50 pounds of muscle mass. I had a 29-inch waist and a 40-inch chest. Since then, they've swapped, okay? And there were only two guys in the entire Ramey Junior High School that I sweat. Only two guys that I had any fear of at all. And because I was so small, I had become the, the one-man band for bullies and for punks. I couldn't stand them. And so any chance I had to get at them, I would. And one day in English, we just come out of English class, and we're walking down the, the wing at English, and we came up to the end of it, and there was this punk being mean and nasty and ugly to another kid. And he was really being ugly to him. And oh, my blood boiled because that 
used to be me. And I put my bags down, and I grabbed hold of that punk, and I lifted him clean off the floor, and I went into my monologue about how we didn't treat people that way and how all people ought to be treated the same and how you ought to treat people right. In the middle of that monologue, he says, Man, you don't know who I am. I looked at him and I said, I don't care who you are. And I went right back into my monologue. And then somewhere in that, my long dissertation about how to treat people, he looked down at me and he said, I'm Egan Smith. I'm Dwight Smith's brother. Dwight Smith? Did you say your brother was Dwight Smith? There's only two guys that I feared in junior high. One was Martins and the other one was Dwight. He was the fastest, strongest ninth grader in the entire world. And I had his brother's feet dangling off the ground. I was scared to death of Dwight. And so I, I put Egan back down on the ground and I smoothed out his leather jacket and I said, now let's be nice, okay? Sometimes, sometimes we need to remember who's in our boat. Sometimes we, remember, we need to remember who's got our back. Open up your Bibles. Matthew, Mark. That ought to be easy to find. Matthew, Mark. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. The waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. They're in the boat with Jesus, and they start to go out to the other side of the sea. They're escaping. They're trying to get away from this huge crowd, and they're rowing across the sea, and suddenly this huge storm comes up. Now these disciples, half of them, or more than half of them, are professional fishermen. They understand what's going on. The Sea of Galilee is 8 miles wide, 13 miles long. They could be as far out as 4 miles away from the edge of shore. And the storm rolls up. These are professional fishermen. They know what's going to happen. These waves, they keep breaking over the side, and they're going down. And in this kind of storm, you don't come back. They're scared, but they're about to be terrified. Jesus was sleeping in the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. That's peace. The storm is around you. It's raging. The wind is howling. The water's coming over the edge of the boat, and you're asleep with your head on a cushion. How much peace is that? The disciples woke him shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're about to drown? And Jesus woke up and he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Be silent. Be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. 
Then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And then the disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man, they asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. They had seen the wind die down quickly, but they knew something was going on when the waves stopped instantly. Did you ever throw a rock in a pool? Did you ever throw a person in a pool? Did you ever notice the waves keep going long after? Christ says, be still and be calm in everything instantly. And these guys who were afraid of drowning are now afraid of the guy in the boat because they realize the strength and the awe inside this man. He is God in the flesh. Sometimes, sometimes we need to identify with who's in our boat, right? Who's got our back? Who's on our side? Just like Egan said, you don't know who I am. You don't know whose I am. Sometimes in life, we need to shout, you don't know whose I am. And whose I am makes all the difference to having peace in my life. Because Jesus Christ, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit has your back. You need to remember whose boat you're in. That brings us back to Philippians. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That peace he leaves us. His peace. Christ's peace. Not the peace that the world leaves. Do not be afraid. Have faith. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. As always, if there's any need, you have any prayer request, or you wish to be baptized this morning and to start your journey of faith, now is the time we offer you to do that. If you want to come forward, you can, or if you want to go to the back, the elders will be at the back of the room to pray with you and assist you. Let's stand as we sing.